Hey there, Jays fans. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. My name is Brian Taat. I'm Crate Otter at whiteandbluereview.com, and I'm your host tonight for this podcast. It's our 17th episode. Thank you for everyone that's been able to come back and join us episode after episode. And that goes for my guest tonight as well. A big thank you to Matt DeMoranis for stopping by, joining me on the show. Matt, you bring all of the information and all the energy to this podcast every week, so I really appreciate it. And I know we've got a ton of stuff to talk about tonight, so I want to just jump right in with the big news of the day, Matt, and that's the Creighton women's basketball team entering the rankings for the first time since I was 12 years old. What's it like for the Blue Jay women's basketball program today as you spent some time down at Sokol Arena and um, talked with some of the coaches and players? So, yeah, it was uh, their first – I mean, I guess it's the first time they've been ranked since Flan's been the head coach, which is – I think it was a surprise to him too because he thought maybe they had um, snuck in here or there a few times in his tenure because they had some really good teams, I think, his first couple of years especially. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's funny because at first he was really kind of downplaying the whole thing. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, big deal. We got, like, kind of – we're playing for a conference title and an NCAA tournament bid. It's not really, you know, that high on the priority list. But I think he uh, – I think someone else convinced him, you know, through conversation today that it actually was quite a big deal as far as, you know, just for the perception of what you're doing, you know, the process of what you're going through in the season to be ranked – so he, he kind of flipped his he flipped his little narrative around and he was pretty excited about it and he um we chatted for maybe about twenty minutes or so and uh we got an interview here we'll play for you guys where he talks about you know all the things that entail you know being a top twenty five team and what that means and how that looks from the outside you know to everybody who doesn't really get to follow the program on a daily basis or get to see the inner workings of how you know, they've developed this so far. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, it's not – and I guess I'm not really that surprised. I felt like they deserved to be ranked earlier than that, you know. Sure. Um, I'm not really sure how you feel, but, I mean, they're – you know, they're 14-2 and two in league play. Their only two losses are to DePaul, to DePaul. And I get maybe, you know, if they had split that series, maybe they would be in the top 25 sooner than that. But, um, you know, just I just – you know, I said in the fall, I said we were. I was funny. I was sitting with Robbie Anderson at a volleyball scrimmage, a little inter squad scrimmage, um, in early September before anybody really got their seasons getting going and everything like that. And I was just like, you know, I think you guys are going to have four teams in the top 25 this year. I think between obviously men's soccer, I think volleyball will end up there, which they did. And then I felt like men's basketball was going to have. If not starting the top twenty-five, they were going to have an opportunity because I think they could have racked off a good non-conference and started right outside the top twenty-five at worst, and probably been in there at some point. Mm-hmm. We obviously know they ended up being a top twenty, top ten team for most of the most of the season before Mo went down, and then the women um, started off slow. Then the injury bug hit them, and it looked like you know that was kind of out the door. But um, you know they hit their stride here in conference play and really have run through the league to the point where. They've pretty much got the toughest, you know, teams on paper in the rearview mirror now, including a sweep of Marquette, a sweep of Villanova, a sweep of St. John's. Um, 
they did get swept by DePaul, but I mean, those are the only two losses in conference play now, and because Marquette swept DePaul, you know, now Creighton's in the driver's seat here to hang a new banner at DJ Sokol Arena for their first Big East regular season title. It'll, I mean, if DePaul wins out too, it'll be shared, but still counts on the banner. So it's still a banner, baby. I mean, if you think back to a couple years ago, I might be mistaken. I'm probably going to stick my foot in my mouth. Um, But I feel like when they first joined the Big East, DePaul, even St. John's to a degree, right? Those were difficult games. Not to say they're not difficult now, right? (laughs) But you lose – in Chicago this year, that game was closer than the final score dictates. In Omaha, it was only a four-point loss. Last year, obviously, we everybody saw the battles that they had um in chicago especially in the the tournament but um you know i feel like it's been two months now and they've lost two games total since december 18th Mm -hmm. and um and and you were the first one to talk about this on air a couple episodes ago where everybody was kind of hanging their heads about maurice watson jr being out for the season and all the injury issues and and how are the Jays going to cope on the men's side? But the women had to lick that ice cream cone multiple times during the yep. season. And yeah. they've not only been um, resilient, but, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a week left of conference games and to get into the top 25 right now and also have such good computer numbers for uh, kind of forecasting that, that bid for the NCAA tournament. I think that, to me, speaks volumes about what Coach Flannery – his assistants, his players, and just the culture down there have cultivated. No excuses. We're going to play a tough schedule in the non-conference. We're going to run our stuff on offense. We're going to hustle. We're going to shoot a ton of threes. And we're going to pick each other up when we go down. And it's really culminated here in a really nice um, last two months for the Jays. Yeah, I mean, extremely improbable. I mean, on paper, it just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, when you look at the success they had in conference play last year, you know, came in that conference tournament, and two of the three best players, if not the two best players, were Jade Owens and MC McGord. So this year, you've gotten zero minutes out of Jade Owens because of the torn hip ligament she's had that, you know, caused her to miss the entire year. And then you have no no, no Big East games with MC McGrory outside of the few minutes she got to play on senior night the other night uh, because of the concussions that forced her to retire. So two of the three players that you thought would be stalwarts for you don't get to play a single significant minute in conference play and yet here you are at 14 and 2 with two more games remaining to win a conference title and, and you know MC McGrory was an all-league player in the preseason one of the one of Creighton's three I mean on paper there's no way that happens it just it doesn't make any sense but you know they have so many veterans who have played enough games who have done enough winning to understand what it takes. And their practice has been so different this year too. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to try to explain this without being too harsh on Flan here, but I mean, <laughs> last last year, I mean, last year going into the final weekend of the season, okay, they were they were 12 or 13 and 16, I believe. Yeah, cuz they split the final weekend. So they were 13 and 16, three games under 500 with Seton Hall and St. John's on the road, two of the top four teams in the league, okay? And to be NIT eligible, you have to have at least a 500 record, um, if I'm not mistaken, maybe even above 500 one game. So 
so they had some work to do to continue their postseason streak. You know what I mean? Which was mm-hmm. I think seven years or eight years at that point. Right. So, and you know, and then so many of those practices were just so focused on simple things like, you know, just communicating and talking and doing the little things, and the, the, they just didn't. That group just did not grasp it in consistent enough for Flynn. I mean, there were so many times where practice had to be stopped and heart-to-heart conversations had to be had. I mean, that was a really tough year mentally, more than it was physically, dealing with the injuries that, you know, Janning faced and um, things like that. It was a really tough year mentally for them. But, you know, that, that tournament in Chicago was a turning point for them. I mean, they flipped on a switch that kind of showed the league what they're made of as a group. And they bring every one of those things, every, every single one of those players except for Tessa Leadham back. And you get a healthy Marissa Janning. And then I think, you know, when the injuries happened, it just, they just didn't, it, that was almost, it didn't even phase them when that happened. Because that's when, when the injury, when MC went down, that was when they started just flipping, you know, just winning games. Like, I think they won like nine of their first 10 when MC went down. Hmm. I mean, that was like a, I think the team just realized that was a gut check moment and they weren't going to let, the excuses of the year before where the injuries led to like a four or five or six game losing streak where they lost six out of eight or four out of six or however many it was without Marissa. They were just like, next person up, we've done this before. We did it last year and they really didn't miss a beat. I mean, and then now to the point where, I mean, Sydney Lamberty has been unreal the last, you know, eight to 10 games. I mean, she's, she's playing like she did you know, as good as she was in her freshman year. I mean, shooting the ball with confidence, still being a great facilitator, still being the team's, you know, best defender. Um, she just brings so much to the game. I mean, and she's been red hot from the field shooting-wise, and that's like – that was almost the missing key there. So, I mean, this team is rolling at the right time, and, you know, they have a chance, like I said, to make a little history here, which is – it's kind of cool to see because you didn't really know what to expect when – when the injury bug did hit them because it hit them pretty hard with some key players. And now, like you said, they are tied for the league lead with one week to play. They're on the road um, against Xavier and Butler this weekend. But you were there for for senior day. You were there for the weekend wins against Seton Hall, St. John's. Um, you know, Explain to the listeners at home that weren't able to make it, myself included, what that atmosphere was like. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of emotion. You and I talked a little bit about it off the air, too. There's a lot of emotion, maybe even on the air last last episode. Uh, someone like Marissa Janning, what she's meant to the program. Um, just on and on about the, the types of kids that Flan brings in. Um, how they have had these ups and downs with injuries, how they have had entire seasons go by the wayside with some of these players um, uh, succumbing to just really terrible individual injuries. What's it like there at Sokol those last two games as people kind of start to realize, like, they're not going to play at home in an NIT game this year, guys. Right, yeah. They're not going to come back, which was always kind of that thing, like, you're like, eh, they might win the Big East tournament, but if they don't, they're going to keep that postseason streak alive, and they're most likely going to be playing in the NIT, which Mm -hmm. is not a terrible thing, but, man, it's nice to not have to see them again in person, right? Right. Yeah, that's that's the whole, like, catch-22 with it. It was like, you know, we love – I mean, I guess from a fan's perspective, they love – and the players, I guess. I mean, they love playing in front of the fans. The fans love seeing them play. But, you know, they're not going to be sad that that's their last game because that means they're doing 
bigger and better things, sort of, so to speak. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd rather was... watch them live on the NCAA tournament broadcasts on mm-hmm. ESPN, frankly. I mean, just because I know that that means that they've achieved that goal. Right. But yeah, I mean, what was it like? Yeah, so I mean, it was a good. The senior day crowd was a really good crowd, considering. Well, I mean, I guess considering or not considered. I mean, considering everybody, seventeen thousand people could have got a free ticket. Maybe it wasn't a great crowd, but because <laughs> they did have that special going on. But uh, no, considering I guess that the men's game got done. You know, I I think it was like right around four thirty-five or so, maybe just inside of an hour before the women's game tipped. Um, but a lot of people were, you know, if you were in the traffic like I was trying to get up there, it yeah. was. It was kind of like encouraging that I was stuck in traffic because it meant a lot of people were going to that game as well to kind of say, um, you know, bid farewell to the senior class that was, you know, having a great season. So um, the St. John's again, it's funny because St. John's has been like that uh, that team that, you know, what in, you know, has been the team that's, you know, what's in the Cheerios for a great single season, you know, even the year before they got to the Big East, they were the team that, um, or I guess two years before they got to the Big East. So it was always the team that's the tournament. That was yeah, brutal, they, yeah. Oil everything, you know, and the, but they play such tight, close, competitive games outside of, you know, outside of one at Carnesecca where Creighton blew them out, and outside of one in Omaha where St. John's blew Creighton now. I mean, other than that, every game has been down to the wire in the final few possessions. And that's the way it turned out again. And it was like, oh, boy, here we go. Here's St. John's doing their thing to play spoiler again. But, uh, you know, Creighton showed that same mental toughness, that fortitude that's got them through that whole season so oh, far. I thought you were going to say moxie. I was. I had a $5 oh. bet on moxie. Moxie's a good word. Okay. We just rewind and edit. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to work that button, so sorry. <laughs> Get with it, God. Uh, you know, that, that – at the end of the at the end of the game, I think it was a one point game, and with like three minutes and fifty seconds left, and Creighton scored on their final seven possessions of the game to finish it up. Nice. So it ended up turning, you know, it was a double digit lead with like thirty seconds left, and ended up being a comfortable win, which never happens against St. John's. Um, and then you know, it was, it, you know, then the finality of it starts to set in as they're giving their speeches and things like that, and. Some of them held it together. I'll give them credit for that. Usually, you can almost bet that every single one of them is going to cry. But um, Matt Fritchie did cry, of course. That's the one thing you can count on every year. Um, sure. He's a softy, even though he likes to talk tough. If he's listening, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, and then you know, and then Flan gets on the mic at the end and kind of just talks about what the seniors have meant to him. And I think he, I don't know if they've put it online yet. It, I hope they do. I don't know if they have, but. You know, he kind of listed four things that he hopes every player at Creighton, you know, leaves with as far as being a better player, a better person, um, making Creighton better and hoping that Creighton made them better type of deal. is really, um, you know, kind of cool insight into what he actually hopes for the people he recruits and the people he develops outside of just as a basketball player. And, of course, all four of these kids, you know, qualify under that guideline. So... Um, it was pretty cool to just hear them, you know, have him like pretty much give a heart to heart to them in front of everybody. And then, of course, he ended it by saying um, that he's not going to miss this crowd because it means they're not playing any women's NIT games this year. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, ask them to follow Milwaukee. If they can't follow Milwaukee, follow them wherever they go in the tournament. And, um, you just know, this ride. It's not Stores, Connecticut. Uh, yeah. And it's not looking like it's going to be. Sure. Which, which is good because, you know, right now Creighton's sitting at. 
16 in the official RPI, and the selection committee just released their last kind of pre-reveal, preview, if you will. Ooh, um, I like yeah, that. Like that? Yeah, their last preview of the top 16 seeds and the top 15 of the the first 15 teams in the RPI were among that group. So Creighton's just outside of it right now. Okay. Um, but it, you know, it's looking like maybe a top five, top six seed, maybe a seven. Um, type of deal right now. If they can continue to win, they'll put themselves in good position um, and hopefully avoid that. You know that that stores bracket that is a that is a kiss of death for women's college basketball. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, they're not they're they're sad that the you know it, it was bittersweet because, like I said, Marissa Janning's one of the best to ever put on a Creighton uniform. There's just no way to argue otherwise, objectively, because the numbers just. She's, you know, second in assists, fourth in scoring. I mean, she won a conference title as a freshman, went to the NCAA tournament, won a game, um, you know, is in position to win a Big East title, won Big East Player of the Year, won the Big East Sportsmanship Award. I mean, there's just, you can go on and on and on um, about what she's meant. And MC McGrory's leadership, you know, Brianna Rollerson's development, you know, her sense of humor, the way she keeps everything light and keeps the teammates like, you know, thinking this is a, you know, it's not like she's not competitive. She is competitive, but I mean, she makes it fun for the rest of her team with her attitude. And and then Lauren Works, who has a ridiculous clutch gene, first of all, in the basketball court, <laughs> just absolutely unrattled in situations where you need a bucket, um, and never stops smiling. I mean, I think Steve Brace, his nickname for her, that I haven't had a chance to use yet, but I'll use it right here. His nickname for her is the Smiling Assassin because she plays. Did I say that slow enough so it makes it not inappropriate? The Smiling Assassin. There you go. Uh, okay, uh, just because you know she's always enjoying the game, enjoying everything she does, and she always greets you with a smile on her face, no matter what you're about to ask her, even if that's a, after a win or a loss. You know, she mm-hmm. just has so much. She just exudes so much joy, and it like you know it rubs off and. That's the way she played her entire career. So it was like, you know, sad for the people that aren't going to get to follow them anywhere else. And that was the last chance they would see them. But, you know, also you're happy for them because they put in a lot of work, a lot of time, have gone through a lot of adversity with injuries. um, And they have a chance now to do something that hasn't been done in the Big East in program history. And to be in the top 25 capped that off, you know, it's a pretty good little little nod to what they've done so far, you know. But obviously their goals are still ahead of them. And we'll hear Flan uh, in your interview here shortly, Matt, talk about those goals and talk about um, obviously the ranking and where his team is positioned heading into the last week of the regular season. Jays fans can catch the women's team on television uh, these last two games, Friday night against the Xavier Musketeers in Cincinnati. That game will be at 6 p.m. Central on Fox Sports 1, and Sunday's regular season finale, noon central opening tip from Butler on the Big East Digital Network. And then they'll be off to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, starting Saturday, March 4th, and Sunday, March 5th, for the Big East tournament out there in Milwaukee. Um, Interesting. And that's actually, yeah, you're going to – that's the same road trip that for the men, right? Yeah, so Saturday, March 4th, Jays men's team will finish up their regular season 
on senior day, senior night. I guess we don't exactly know when, but that's out in Milwaukee as well against Marquette. So, um, Jays fans, if you happen to get out there, that'd be a really good time, uh, you know, and then just go out to New York from there. But, um, yeah, plenty of opportunities here now in the next still week, week, two weeks to catch uh, Coach Jim Flannery's team. But before you do that, we'll go ahead and play uh, Matt DeMaurice's interview with Jim Flannery here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Um, Flan, thanks for, I know you're about to head out of the office here, uh, you know, because you guys take all these days off now. So, um, but congratulations on your first top 25 ranking as a head coach, right? First mm-hmm. one since 92. Yeah. What yeah. were you doing this? I was surprised. 92, I was uh, at Loris College. Uh, I was a graduate assistant for Connie Yori at okay. uh, Loris College, uh, making $3,500 a year on my stipend and coaching an English as second language class and uh, working on my master's in English that I never finished. You should have cut your teeth in coaching. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah. I guess what was your reaction to it? I mean, you guys knew you were right there, you know, and there was a bunch of upsets this week from, right. like, the 20 to 25 range. I mean, right. what was your reaction to seeing that you guys finally jumped in? Well, it was, I was I went over at lunch to, to work out in the weight room, and Dan Bailey came out and said, our, our strength coach came out and said that uh, that we were, and he just read a tweet that that, uh, that we were rated, and of course I was all coach speak, and yeah, it's not that big a deal, and he stops me right away and says, no, it is a big deal, you know, and, you know, after I, after I talked to him for a minute and thought about it, it is a big deal, it is a big deal for the, you know, for, for the program as a whole, because obviously, you know, as a coach, you're not just thinking about this year's team, you're thinking about, okay, the perception of our program can be elevated by being rated, you know, even if yeah. our RPI is... In, has been in the top 25 for weeks that the average person doesn't know that so uh, the average recruit doesn't know that the, the average club coach or high school coach maybe who doesn't know that so that's you know or the average fan so that's that part is big I think in terms of outside the program but even inside the program I think it's hopefully our players you know I'll talk I'll talk about it briefly tomorrow before we before we practice but I'll also say it's not it's not going to make a difference in the way we prepare for this weekend. It's not going to make a difference when the ball gets thrown in the air on Friday night or Sunday afternoon. But I do think, you know, when we sat in the locker room after losing to Wichita State, which thanks for coming down for that. Um, you know, we're 0-2 and we just lost to a team that, you know, was picked in the middle of the valley. And, you know, and then a week, week and a half later when we're 1-3 and and down 10 or 12 in the second quarter to Dayton, looking at one and four. You know, for that team to to now be 20 and six um, and in the top 25 in, in late February is a testament to the work that they put in, the resiliency that they've had, uh, the you know the togetherness that they've shown, the, the the willingness to to keep getting better, and and then to fight through the injuries that we had to to, to be where we are. So I think both internally and externally, it's. It's contrary to what I told Dan Bailey uh, in the moments that I heard it. It is a, it is a big deal, and yet you know we can't we can't obviously focus on that. It's, it's we got to prepare, but it's it's something to feel good about for a day or more. I guess when you look at where you're at in the season right now and the, the stretch you've put together here, I mean you're in the top 25 in the coaches poll. You're 16th in the official RPI and. You know, the top 15 are the top four seeds in the regionals. I mean, are you 
I know you said you got games left, but are you playing your best basketball right now? Do you feel like this team is the trajectory that you're currently on right now is, I mean, trending upwards, playing? Are you guys have like leveled off as far as effort goes? Do you still see the same intensity that you? Yeah, want to see at I mean, I'm, I think we're. I think we've. I think we've gotten better. I feel like we're we're, we're closer to where we want to be. But at the same time, you know, I, I talked to you after St. John's. I didn't feel like we played that well against Seton Hall last right. Friday. Um, and I think the challenge is to, you know, is to go into this weekend and put two really good road games together. Um, you know, because I, I feel like we've obviously we've won enough that we've that we've confirmed or kind of affirmed that we're a, a team that'll fight. You know, so a couple of weeks ago when we went to Villanova and Georgetown, I didn't think we played that well against Villanova, but we fought. We found a way to win, and then two days later, I thought we played really well against Georgetown and won. But you know, the mark of a good team is to be able to kind of figure out both. Both you got you're gonna you know if we're gonna be in the NCAA tournament and, and be competitive, we probably can't just be a team that, you know, is resilient. We're going to have to perform better, but at the same time, you've got to, anytime you get in a situation where things are difficult or where, where you're being challenged, you've got to find ways to overcome. So I th- we're, he- we're certainly headed in the right direction, but, but uh, you know, coaches are never satisfied. You're never satisfied. <laughs> um, I guess if you can zoom out a little bit, I mean, there's, there's work to be done here, certainly from – I guess from a finality standpoint, accomplishment-wise, you guys haven't accomplished what some of the other teams have, but from what you've done so far, the position you put yourselves in, to maybe what you can still accomplish as far as, you know, you went out and you're hanging a banner as far as the right. Big East title, uh, the Big East tournament is, you know, you're going to play teams that you've beaten. I mean, if you get those things accomplished, can you see yourself making an argument for this being the best team you've ever coached? Um, well, I think... I think what what as as you think about you know being you know being in the top 25 for the first time in 25 years, yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of arbitrary though that it's 25. It could be the top 20. It could be the top 30. It yep. could be the top 35. And in that case, we probably would have been in the top 30 or 35. If it was top 20, we wouldn't be in the top 20. So that the number is kind of ar- um, arbitrary. And the other thing that I think. You understand when you when you when you coach longer and, and or just when you coach is that sometimes you're as, as you just use the word trajectory. Sometimes you're you're good all the way through the year. Sometimes you're you're at various points in the year. You might be a really good team, but something might happen, or you might be a young team that grows into a really good team. But I think it is it is hard to say. Okay. What, what, are you, what are you asking? Are you asking that we're the best team from the beginning of the year to the end of the year or, you know, over a 20-game stretch? Because I, I think at the beginning of the year we weren't the best, you know. Yeah. It, it'd be hard to argue that, but at, at the same time, you know, I think if you're saying from, you know, from Christmas to this point, I don't know that I've coached a team that's that's played better and, and more together and, and found ways to win more than this team, but certainly there's a little room for, yeah. for greater play and, and better results uh, before Christmas. So that's a long-winded way, sure. as I normally do, of, of answering. But I think you could say it might be the best team from Christmas on mm-hmm. that, that I've ever coached. 
from individual standpoint, Sydney Lambert, the last maybe eight or ten games, has really picked it up. I mean, yeah, maybe looking like the player, uh, talent-wise, skill-wise, as far as her confidence in her jump shot that she was as a freshman. I know it's weird to say that, that she was better as a freshman than a sophomore, but I mean, there was a stretch there where she really fought not only confidence issues, but I mean, she just wasn't shooting well, period, and it was almost to the point where right. she was a facilitator because it's all she could do. Yeah. Um, what happened with her? I mean, was there a conversation? Was there a moment in practice? Was there a moment in the game where you saw the flip kind of switch for her where she's just almost a different player now as far as the confidence she has in her scoring ability now? Well, certainly the end of the Georgetown game was a big boost for her. I thought, um, you know, she made, made several really big and difficult basketball plays at mm-hmm. the end of that game and winning plays. and. I think when you have that success at the end of game, a game, a game, it probably means more than if you had it at a different time in the game. Um, no, I think she's, you know, I think her wrist, you know, had bothered her more early in the season, and she got an injection. Um, I can't remember when, but I, I think once that started, you know, it's when when you when your shooting wrist is bothering you, you've got. The difficulty is, well, you can only practice, so you know, because if you use it, if you overuse it shooting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it starts to bother you, well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna reap the benefits of, of, of the extra practice. So I think that was an issue. Um, but I think I don't know. I mean, she's always felt like she walks by right now. Um, you know, I've always felt like she, she handles pressure pretty well. Um, late game, and she's, she's a very even even-tempered player, like she doesn't get too high, she doesn't get too low, um, and, and so there's always been kind of a comfort level with her end of game, but, but to your point, a lot, of her, a lot of her difficulty was she was running away from her shot, and well, that limits the decisions you can make. You can only become, you can only be so good of a decision maker if you don't ever want to shoot a perimeter shot. And she'd kind of gotten to that point on occasion, or and, and probably even more than occasions. But uh, uh, I don't know. It's good to have what, what we've seen lately, though, is is really good to have. Because I said, you know, once once she started making shots, and Mar- Marissa's made more perimeter shots, or, and just made finishing around the rim better. Like when those two score the ball, we're we're a lot better team, and they've scored the ball better lately. And I think that's made made us go from a, a team that was finding ways to win to a team that. You know, is a better team can still find ways to win, but it's, it, we're just a better team when she when she plays the way she has recently. Butler and Xavier this weekend coming up here. I mean, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you from the outside as far as what you guys have in your control. Because if you win out, there's no one that's going to stop you from right. calling you biggest champions. You know, depending on what Paul does with Villanova and Georgetown, right. two uh, upper division teams in the conference. But Butler and Xavier have been tricky for you, especially yeah. on the road. That's not – that hasn't been a game that you guys can just roll in there regardless of whose record is what and win easily. Right. What, what, what about those matchups has been difficult for you yeah. on this road swing? Well, I feel like – I mean, Xavier, Xavier has guarded us well. Like, they're, they're a team that when we, when we prepare for other opponents, a lot of times we watch that opponent play Xavier because they play – like they're a fairly scout heavy defensive team they kind of, they try to they play make you play to your weaknesses play away from your strengths and so I think we're we're similar that way we've had, we've had a reasonably difficult time scoring against uh, them uh, 
and, and Butler kind of junks it up. Like they've, they're, when you watch them on film, they, they do a lot of different things really on offense and defense. And so they're, and, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I think we've probably played better at Xavier. We just lost two really first-breaking yeah. close games. Yeah. Um, whereas I thought against Butler, we've really, we haven't played really well any of the three years. We found a way to win last year, but we, it was really ugly mm-hmm. through three quarters and probably into the fourth. Um, but, you know, hopefully we're a different team now. We're, I, think we're a, I think we're a better team, a more confident team. And, but, but, you know, to your point, it's like they, these guys have been competitive. You know, I just watched Xavier and Villanova both – or Xavier and Butler both played Villanova to overtime on the road this past weekend. So it's not like they, their kids haven't given up. Despite their records, they haven't given up. And, and uh, they were both um, – you know, Butler was in the game until the late against uh, Adrian. So we know it's not going to be that we're not going to walk in there. We're not – from the standpoint that we, and we're not a team that scores 90 like DePaul. DePaul right. is kind of has the ability to blow teams out, probably more than we do. We don't we don't run up and down enough. We don't press enough. So we expect to be in tight games. And the good news is, is we've found ways to win tight games. Uh, just briefly before I let you go, I mean, not too specific, but what keys? What are your keys to victory this weekend? I mean, I don't know if it's two different teams, but I mean, right. if you do these things well, we'll win. What does that list look like for you? Right. Well, I think Butler was I'll, – I'll work backwards. Butler was interesting because we, we blocked 15 shots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so that was – and it was a different game from the standpoint that – it was our first conference game, and they came in the worst three-point shooting team in the league in the non-conference and made five out of five from the three-point line in right the first yeah. eight minutes. So <laughs> we kind of had to play from behind, and I think when you do that, you know, it's, it's, it is it's is a different game. But they've got a really good post player in Schickle, uh, and they've got some a couple kids who can really shoot it. And, and like I said, they're pretty complicated on both ends, and um, so that – you know, controlling Chickle without losing the two, the, the two or three shooters will be will be a challenge. And then, and then they always they always do. They're always so versatile defensively that our kids necess, necessarily don't get in the rhythm mm-hmm. because they'll go from a man to a zone. They'll, they'll press for a little bit and then they'll fall back, play man, and then they'll switch in their man more. And, and so they're they're they do make it hard to kind of develop an offensive rhythm. Um, then Xavier. Uh, you know, they've got a good inside-outside balance. As much as they're, a lot of times their leading scorers are their guards, their, their posts, they, they throw it in the post a little bit more than than, uh, than some teams. And uh, and like I said, they, they defensively, they typically, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do something different. For instance, the first game we played them, they put uh, – a post player on on Sydney because Sydney hadn't shot the three very well going into that game, and then they put a guard on Audrey and said, "We're going to be physical and we're going to we're going to take away your perimeter game." And and so you know we got to be prepared to, to post Audrey a little bit more than we were the first game. We weren't really ready to post her as much, um, and hopefully. You know, I don't know that they'll match the same way this time, but because Sydney's shooting the ball much better, but they played off Sydney and begged her to shoot, mm-hmm. and she kind of didn't, and then when she did, she didn't make them, so um, they did a good job there. But uh, um, you know, we need, against Xavier, we need to throw the ball inside. I mean, Bree, 
Um, they've, they've got some bigger kids they bring off the bench, but against their starting lineup, uh, Bree's going to be able to score the ball one-on-one in the post. So they're either going to have to give help or or she's going she's gonna, to, I think, be effective scoring the ball. Um, and then we've got to kind of, um, you know, I think they're not a – they're not a deep team, so just being able to pull out, you know, we, we don't have to know 10 different kids personnel-wise, but just locking in on, on um, personnel and, and the strength, you know, which kid wants to go left, which kid wants to go right, which kid wants to go baseline. Um, those sorts of things are, are pretty important against them because, they, like I said, they, they, don't, they really only play four perimeter players out of, on, on the three positions, so it should, that part shouldn't be difficult, but uh, just being, being uh, pretty, pretty dependent on, on personnel. That was a brief for Jim Flannery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I should have prefaced that. But I, I will say for the record, because I gave you a hard time about giving your kids days off, that every single, almost 80% of the team walked by us while we were doing this interview because they're all in the weight room and yeah. getting extra work in. So they're not actually taking yeah. all these days off and being lazy. Um, yeah. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you sitting down. Congratulations on yeah. your first top 25 ranking as the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays. And, I, and uh, I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known that. I, I thought maybe we had been rated at some point. So, yeah, it is, it is cool. Yeah. So, good luck this weekend. Okay. And we'll see you in Milwaukee. We'll see you in Milwaukee. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, Matt. Great interview, as always. Always wonderful to hear from Coach Flannery. Um, great news for his program and, and things just really uh, – Going well for them coming down the stretch here. We'll be interesting to see how they finish things out in the regular season. Again, at Xavier and at Butler this weekend. Win both of those, and you're guaranteed at least a share of a Big East regular season title. Win both of them, and DePaul happens to slip up in one, and you got yourself an outright, outright title. So really good stuff there. Appreciate you speaking with him. Mm-hmm. want to go ahead and make a big right turn now to – the men's basketball team, obviously the Jays, another one-in-one week under their belts. Um, before we yeah. rehash the loss at Seton Hall too much, fresh on our minds, obviously a home win against Georgetown, a team that absolutely drubbed the Blue Jays in D.C. a couple weeks ago. Your initial um, perspective, your initial reaction as you sat on press row for um, the return game against the Hoyas in what ended up being a double-digit win for the Jays? I mean, I thought Creighton – I don't think – it's funny because I don't think the game was all that different from most of the – from most of the first one. It was, I mean, I think Creighton played a lot harder. I guess you can say energy was a problem not in D.C., but – Since there <laughs> were like 150 people in this Yeah, crowd. I mean, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, you know, D.C. has a great crowd, great turnout. Um I mean, because, you know, I mean, Creighton, you know, Georgetown had 71 points out there and they had 70 here in Omaha. So, I mean, it wasn't really all that different. I think Creighton just played with a lot more energy. Offensively, they executed a lot at a lot higher rate. And then Marcus Foster had a YOLO game where he just went off. And not really anybody in Georgetown's defensive rotation, whoever they switched on him, could guard him or stop him, which was good to see because it looks like he's starting to develop, put together a pretty good rhythm offensively as far as when to attack the rim, when to go for the jumper. I don't want to say settle. I'm very careful to say settle for the jumper because he can shoot it pretty well. Right. So his I mean, settling for a jumper is like most guys would wish to be able to take it and make that yeah. shot that he hits. 
Yeah, you know, when he gets in a good groove, when he gets in a good rhythm, when his swagger's at a high level, I mean, yeah, that, that step back is pretty lethal. It's is it hard ever, to... is his swagger ever not at a high level? Because <laughs> that boy's you know, got swag for days. Man, that's a fair question. That guy would get, man. <laughs> he would get a, yeah, NBA refs are going to love him. Um, <laughs> Where do you get a lot of these guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, he just feels like he's playing at a different level, like from an energy standpoint, from a confidence standpoint. He's not necessarily... It's not that he wasn't getting enough shots under it when Maurice was there or touching the ball enough. It wasn't anything like that, but it just feels like he's settling into a better groove of figuring out how to play without Maurice Watson, which is what I which, which you had to figure was going to naturally come, right? I mean, the the team had so many games left without him that they were going to figure out how to play well without him, right? I mean, there's just too much talent to tank, didn't you think so? Like you felt like they were going to figure something out and get into a pretty good groove again at some point, right? Yeah, and that's why I still think that win at Butler is just so big because I don't think anybody would have faulted the Jays for dropping that game because they still were figuring stuff out. They really had only had a handful of full practices after the injury, and you've heard the coaches allude to it, and I know you've heard the coaches talk to it actually off record at length about just they had to reinvent some stuff just flat out. Mm -hmm. So – yeah, I mean, you pick that up, and we've seen Butler now. They've started to get into a little bit of a rhythm. They've had a couple of nice blowout wins here recently. You know, whereas Xavier, that's the game that always is going to now mm-hmm. bite at me because that was the last game Trayvon Blewett played before he went down with his injury here now for a couple of weeks, and they have looked like a shell of themselves yep. since, ultimately, like since frankly, winning that game that the Jays felt like handed to them down the, the stretch that 82-80 loss in Omaha a couple weeks ago. So, you know, again, that's kind of that mix or match. But, no, I, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like maybe with every loss, like I didn't feel great after the Seton Hall game. But a lot of that Seton Hall game was, I mean, what are you going to do? Dino goes off for Seton Hall. Obviously, we didn't do a lot of guarding of Kadeem. But, you know, I thought we kept a lot of their other guys off the books. Um and we just couldn't keep anybody off the boards. And yeah. they got a lot of the 50-50 plays. They got a lot of the hustle plays. You know, we were right in it there at the end, though. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and that's on the road, and that's a game that I think year in and year out, it's always going to be, uh, you know, as long as Seton Hall's not trotting out a lot of, like, you know, just airhead kids, I feel like, you know, head cases – I feel like that game's going to be competitive because Willard can't. Are you, trying to, are you trying to imply Isaiah Whitehead has emotional problems sometimes? All I'm trying to imply is Kevin Willard's managing of the road game Creighton played there last season right. still blows my mind. And I have never, I've never figured it out. <sighs> That's crazy. Because they close. were so reliant. Oh, I don't know what he did. It was insane. He pretty much just like. Gave up the game. Yeah. Yeah. But big, he, but, big old white flag off the pirate ship. I know, but then you look at the season they ended up like they ended up having at the end of it, like you know, winning the whole thing in the garden before. Yep. You know, I mean, they had so much momentum going into the postseason play, and then you look at that game where it was essentially a tank job as like, uh, here I'm about to take this giant L at home, this blowout L at home, just to prove a point to my star players. And I feel like if I remember that correctly, that was toward maybe the first week or two weeks of the conference season 
and how big of a emotional boost that was for the Jays. They had right. lost so many conference games the season before closely. Um, you know, they and Seton Hall had kind of got their goat, especially in that building that the year previous, where uh, Creighton had like what, like ninety two tries for an offensive tip in, couldn't get it to go, and then Seton Hall comes down, and gets an offensive put back to win it, and it's like, you know, that's just mentally draining, and it just des- mm-hmm. it destroys you, right? They end up playing in the playing game. Oh, which I hope that never has to happen again. Thank you, DePaul. But I just hey, good news though, uh, Marquette beat St. John's into the ground tonight, so that gives St. John's their ninth conference loss. And then that means Providence is the only team, or is the team sitting there with eight, so if Creighton wins tomorrow night against Providence, yeah, that will clinch them a top six finish in the league at worst. Okay. So, so no playing game this year if they win tomorrow night. Big. That's big. Yeah. And the fact that this league is so good that that could even be – a possibility for them with only four conference games remaining. Like that's amazing, you know. Yeah, uh, they didn't only they clinched that until what the second to last game last year, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so had a schedule. Um, but anyway, what were we talking about? I kind of blacked yeah. out. I was going like down the Seton Hall rabbit hole. So yeah, I mean, you were right about that. I was totally wrong. You called that. You called that loss. I had it as a you know. Comfortable road win, I guess. As, I mean, as, I didn't think Kadeem Carrington was going to score like he did, but you know, a lot God, of those the, rest, po- the rest were so bad. I mean, dude, a lot of those points just come for the free throw line. I've never seen a guard shoot. I I grew up a Michael Jordan fan. Okay, the greatest two guard of all time and the goat overall. Yeah, I've never seen a player shoot that many free throws in a game before. It was a wild. guard. I know. Twenty-two free throws that guy shot. Like Kadeem Carrington. And then Marcus Seriously? takes it to the rim, gets knocked down almost every single time he takes it. Yep. And we talked about this last week. The guy gets no love on the drives no. at all. Crazy. But circling back to Marcus, I mean, obviously his game against Georgetown was fantastic. He made all the right passes, which I loved to see. He got mm-hmm. other guys involved, got some boards. Um, you know, he's sitting at second in the league right now at scoring overall. Yeah. Um, uh, that's going based off of the BigEast.com stats, so uh, they could be sorely outdated. Who knows? But um, <laughs> Josh Hart, 18.8 a game. Marcus, 18.6. Josh but, Hart good? I've never heard of him. I don't know that guy. Uh, <laughs> Kadeem Carrington, uh, 17.8. That obviously well, buoyed a little bit last played week. Played that one a little bit, didn't we? <laughs> a little bit. That's what I'm saying. How about the two – the Utah, the two young bucks from St. John's, though, Shamori Pons and Marques Levet, uh, 17.2 apiece a game. Like, that is just good for good for them. Yeah, so Shamori's like a former Creighton recruit, you know? So tonight he forced like a – Very much so, yeah. Yeah, forced a 10-second call. I don't know if you – did you watch St. John's Marquette at all? But, I mean, he forced a 10-second call like against three Marquette players by himself off Whoa. of a rebound, like off of a missed shot. You know, where you're kind of where they yeah. got the ball like at the free throw line pretty much and had like 15 feet to go to get it across. And he rips the ball away from, I think it was uh, Cheatham, okay? okay, and rips the ball away from him so it's loose on the floor. He dives after it with Luke Fisher, loses it. So then Fisher's got the ball up and then sort of takes a couple dribbles. And then uh, that's not a place you want to be if you're Luke Fisher. No, no. So Pond start, yeah. So Pond sees blood in the water, goes after him. Then Fisher puts it up to, or sends it up to Andrew Rousey, 
who Pons chases after as well, traps and then causes the 10 second. Like, he seriously just hounded three dudes from the free throw line extended to force a 10 second call. Like, that was insane. So, yeah, that's a, that dude's balling out right now. So, you're saying that we should have, we're, we're missing out on a little Shamari Pons action. I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, you might feel that way, I guess. It depends on how long he stays in the biggies. Maybe he'll just leave early and you won't miss him that much. But, okay. Yeah, he's good. He good. I like he doesn't have much coaching, but he's good. <sighs> yeah. You mean the zombie's not coming to work every day? God. Uh, well, the announcers tonight were giving Mullen credit for not getting a technical foul. <laughs> He's got a lot to live up to. Yeah, like what standards, man? I'm going to get credit for Mullen for not getting teed up tonight. Like, okay. Um, yes. Other other topics from that Georgetown win, though, I, I, I do want to talk. I mean, the Kyrie, the Kyrie Thomas love fest that you and oh. I have. I mean, it's starting to get. I mean, it's starting to get serious. Like, put a ring on it, type serious. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to go too far down that road, but just I loved Kyrie's play against Georgetown. But what I think I loved even more were his post game radio comments to uh, John Bishop in in the the sixteen twenty the zone uh, broadcast because he just flat out and said it. He was so upset that. Georgetown rolled them so much that he came out so focused on defense and on the glass. He didn't even really think to look to score too much, but he was just so locked in. I just thought how, you know, guys always give lip service to this notion that, oh, yeah, we're going to put that game behind it. Like, Kyrie didn't put that game behind him. Like, Kyrie (laughs) used that as fuel to make things a living nightmare for the guys that he guarded. Isn't that crazy? Like, Having a guy with that mentality. Like I said, I don't know how you feel about this. Since we are on a Kyrie love fest, I mean, I think, and this kind of hurts that, I, you know, the memories of the players of the past, like, get further away every day. But, I mean, I'm trying to think of a player I'm in, I've enjoyed watching more since I was a kid. I've been going to games since I was, oh, man. Since I, was, I think I was seven years old when I first started going to games. So I'm 31 now. So 24 years, around 25 years of going to Creighton basketball games. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, I love Ryan Sears. I love Ben Walker, Kyle Corver, Doug, you know, you know, just go on down the line. Rodney uh, at St. Fleur, I remember. Um, I don't know if I've enjoyed watching that guy more than I enjoy watching Kyrie, like, you know, I know I'm a different. I have a different attitude about it now, and I have a different role in how I follow this team. But I mean, he just affects the game in so many ways, like that create energy. You know, it's not like it's not like he's just boxing out and grabbing a rebound and hitting an outlet man and then jogging down the floor and you know getting the ball maybe 15 seconds into the shot clock and making a play and scoring. Like he is affecting immediate momentum switching plays. Like. He will steal the ball from somebody, take it all the way down, alley oop it to someone, or dunk it himself. Like it's constant energy, momentum shifting plays that he makes over and over again. Like, I mean, it's just so fun to watch him play. Just like just release, just forget what you're doing there, forget what you're writing, forget what you're looking up, and just watch him do his thing. It's just incredible to watch. I, I love it. Yeah, I have thoughts on you know comparable. Um feelings for watching him as you know compared to those jays of the past um but i think what you just spoke about the microcosm of that was isaiah's in the game late 
He's trying to bring the ball up the floor against some pressure. He makes a very ill-advised and errant pass, turns it over. Georgetown collects the ball, tries to make a pass up the floor, and Kyrie literally <laughs> suffocates. He jumps, suffocates yeah. the ball into his chest. Consumes and so he, it. Like, he literally, he could have like chewed on the rubber a little bit and spit it out. <laughs> Takes a dribble. Gets the break going, and Marcus just detonates the rim, all oh, because yeah. he, in his natural, all because Kyrie Thomas, in his natural instincts, to make that type of play that you talked about, not just to stem the tide, but to make an exceptional defensive play that led directly to a momentum shifting score for the Jays, and they never really looked back after that. But that was that was shaping up to be a possession that I think could have cut the game with a three pointer. Down uh-huh. to like six or seven. Yep. And um, I just remember thinking to myself, thank God we have Kyrie on this team right now because that was about the only thing I stopped me from walking down onto the floor. So, <laughs> And it's not an accident. It's funny because I think he got fouled pretty hard like a couple plays later, and I was sitting next to Alex Sindelar from who covers Creighton for uh, Big East Coast Bias. And uh, um, I was just sitting next to, you know, we were sitting next to each other and uh, he got fouled hard and he was kind of taking his time getting up. And I was just like, I will fight somebody. <laughs> like, I will go down there. I will find the number, the jersey number, and I will fight this person. I don't care how big they are. Like, I know Georgetown's got some yeah, some men. But I was like, I'm not I'm not scared. If, the, if Kyrie doesn't get up, I'm, it's, I'm you know, throwing down. They got some big dudes, but they just run like the person's offense. Yeah. So, I'll yeah. throw hands if someone hurts Kyrie. I will do it. Okay? This is what I'm talking about here. But, I mean, you know, so, play, oh, so let me bust just... this out for you then. More valuable player to this team right now over the course of the season. Maurice Watson Jr. or Kyrie Thomas? I've always said Kyrie. You I know. know. So I still feel that way. I feel okay. that way like even more now because his role has increased and the importance of what he does has been magnified because those plays now are needed. They're not just like you know, window dressing anymore. I mean, it's not like they, I guess window, that's probably too little harsh, but I mean, you could live without those plays before, right? Right. Because there are other ways to get the job done, you know? Now you can't, you need those. You Like Creighton needs those plays. They need those incredible momentum shifting plays that not everybody in the country, not even close to everybody in the country can make. And he does them every night, every single night. I mean, it's like, it's just, he is the heart and soul of that team. He is like, whether he is the emotional leader or not, the things he does on the court right now right. are so are so vital to success that Creighton can't live without them anymore because they their margin for error shrunk when Maurice went down. So now they need Kyrie to be – they need the Kyrie fence. They need it all the time in order to win. So that's why it's – that's why it's even more, you know, fun to watch him play because he's now affecting the game – in an even bigger way than he did before. And uh, we were talking, I was talking to Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald today, and we were kind of breaking down our, our uh, you know, all Big East first team selections and things like that. You're reading my mind, man. Go ahead. Keep talking. Right? So, I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think Angel Delgado is going to be a first teamer. I think Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson are first teamers. And then I think, I think the last spot, the last two or three spots comes down to maybe Marcus versus Kyrie. Like, I mean, one of those guys gets first team and I think one of the other gets second, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, if you lean Marcus fine, 
but Kyrie's still an All Big East player, certainly a second teamer, don't you think? I mean, if if not if not Marcus, and then um, and then we were also talking about Big East Defensive Player of the Year, and it was funny because we were like, who else? We didn't we didn't say we didn't ask the question who do we think is Big East Player of the Year. The question we were debating was who's even close to Kyrie right now. And Whose name are they going to call that's going to Matt, make Matt want to throw fists in New York when he gets yeah. there? <laughs> Who's right? going to make you want to throw hands when the dude's holding the trophy? And I'm wondering why did that happen? And it's not Kyrie. So just yeah. a couple numbers here for you, just to kind of level set for everybody. I did pull up accurate statistics of which the Marcus 18 and 8, 18.8 a game or 18.6 a game is right on. He is second in the league in scoring. But Kyrie, 23rd right now in points per game, 11.9. Okay. Um, and that's Ky- just in league play, right? No, I'm talking this is all se- this is all season. Okay. So this is all season, which I look at overall because I understand that you're looking for the conference players of the year. The all, all, all first team, maybe you and I disagree. I don't know what your take is on that, but I look at body of work overall. Okay. Um, so he's well within the top 25 scoring the basketball Kyrie is 11th in the league in rebounds per game one of few guards that are up there even close um Kyrie is tied for ninth with Billy Garrett Jr. at 3.1 assists per game and the and the statistic that I thought he would actually be higher in is actually steals per game he's seventh at uh, 1.56 so I mean it's not sneaky if all these, you know, statistical uh, aggregates show you as one of the, the one of the clear best players in the league. But I mean, we've been seeing the eye test all season long. He is clearly the linchpin for this team. And I mean, I love Marcus's offensive game, and I love what he's responding to uh, when it comes to what the coaches are asking him to do. And frankly, they, the Jays need twenty from Marcus every single night, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's really hard if you if you give me one of those two guys for that last spot or for one of those spots in the All Big East team. Uh, yeah, I I think I lean Kyrie just because of everything he can do. Uh, so yeah, so so I'm looking. Yeah, I I agree. I'm looking up the conference only stats, and they're not that far off from what you just said. So he's actually 23rd in the league in scoring in just league play. Okay, mm-hmm. and then he's 11th in rebounding in just league play. Mm-hmm. He is. Fourth, tied for fourth with Marcus Levette in assists per game in league play. Think about that, Kyrie Thomas. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So okay. So then, steals. He's tied for sixth. Um, assisted turnover ratio. He's fifth, right below Jalen Brunson and above Kadeem Carrington. And then, offensive rebounds per game. He's eighth in the conference. Uh, defense rebounds per game. He's tenth in the conference. So yeah, I mean, there's he does everything. He's in every list. Yeah, you know, scoring, assists, rebounds, steals. Like he does everything. We warned everybody that this was going to be another Kyrie I, Thomas love fest. I mean, I have no, I have no qualms with this. No, nope. we should just call the podcast Kyrie Fence Podcast and oh. go from there. Well, then we can only, talk about other things within it. Only if you can get Kyrie on the podcast. How's that sound? If you, you can get what? him, easy. If you, I know you can get him easy, but let's make that happen, and yeah. um, especially when we're out in New York. So for for our dedicated listeners, just a heads up: Matt 
DeMarine is, is going to join me out in New York City for the Big East Tournament. We will be doing some special podcasting stuff out there in between staying up way too late to all hours of the night and, you know, making fools of herself in New York City or whatever. I kind of did that last time, but maybe it's <laughs> time. It's called living life, man. It's called living in the Big Apple, right? But uh, trying to avoid Providence fans like the plague, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to get Kyrie on the podcast. Um, if not soon, then, then maybe when we're out in New York or something. I know they keep those guys pretty locked down and focused, uh, hopefully mm-hmm. during what will be a long run that weekend in New York City for the Jays. But things now shaping up uh, this week. Um, this will publish late Tuesday night, so most of you that will listen to this podcast will listen to it the morning or the afternoon before the Jays host the Providence Frias. Ed Cooley brings his team to town, and they've put together a nice little run here the uh, last couple weeks, especially since the Jays last saw Providence at Providence. Um, that was one of those sneaky games that got out of control. Marcus... Maurice and Justin all firing on all cylinders that afternoon. Uh, so a big big win for the Jays out in Providence. But things have changed, and Ed Cooley's team um, starting to pop up in some of these projections. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, if you would have told, Pri- you know, Friars fans a month or two ago, they would have not exactly thought you were sane. So um what are the jays working on i know you were down at practice and stuff and we've actually got an interview to set up here shortly but tell us a little bit about what you're seeing for prep for providence and then obviously ahead of what's a kind of a fool's gold game this weekend at villanova Fool's gold. <laughs> yeah. okay uh well i mean that and this will tease a little bit what what the interview that we have we have an um, interview with caleb joseph who's um that red shirt star that the Maurice Watson Jr. and Marcus Foster and Cole Huff of the past, I guess. It's becoming a tradition at Great and just there's one. Do they give them like a special color jersey or something? They should. Yeah, For it's kind of funny. They actually have red practice jerseys now, which is throwing me off. I've yeah. never seen that. Hard to watch that sometimes. But uh, anyway, before we sidetrack this whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Caleb Joseph is emulating Kyron Cartwright this week, which if you remember the game in Providence, that was – something that the Friars were desperately missing was they're all they're due they're their Kyrie Thomas, I guess, because that guy does really everything for them as well from the point guard position. Um and so he you know he missed what most of the second most of the first half and all of the second with a knee injury. Um so uh you know Caleb Joseph got to show off his got to pretty much do everything today in practice. I mean he's he got to be a scorer, a facilitator, a rebounder. Um, so the, the big, you know, with Providence, the big focus is, you know, the communication defensively because they, they run all those actions so close to the basket. And, you know, even when the shots don't go in, they're so big and so physical that, you know, they beat you up on the offensive glass. And so, I mean, making sure you're, you're, you're strong, you're sound, your communication is sound. So you're not getting lost defensively and, you know, giving up rim runs and, free putbacks and things like that are going to be a huge factor for Creighton. And it usually always is that usually makes the difference in the Providence game. Um, and it ha- you know, it has up to this point, I think offensively it's going to be interesting because I'm not really sure how Providence can slow Creighton down. I don't know. Really, I don't, and I'm not sure if they, you know, they were the team that kind of were the first one to say, you know what, we're going to try zoning this Doug and Ethan squad and see how they handle that. And, 
you know, that turned out to be one of those Achilles heels that popped up late in that season. But I mean, and then with Chris Dunn, you had a guy who just was an absolute nightmare on ball screens, which Creighton is a heavy ball screen team offensively. And that guy could just blow up a ball screen all by himself. He didn't need any help. So they don't have that anymore. They don't have necessarily a lot of teeth defensively. So I think Creighton can still get what they want on the offensive end of the floor. It's all going to be about how well they keep Providence off the glass and from getting high percentage looks within that within that jumbled up, muddied offense that's run 10 feet and in from the basket. Sure. And, uh, yeah, first, thanks for bringing up the, the zone against Doug and Ethan. Um, Sorry. You owe me now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Kyron Cartwright, like you said, he missed a lot of that game. And when he came out, I mean, Providence – put up a valiant effort but i mean it was the the difference was very noticeable immediately um, and i mean creighton got out rebounded by 15 in that game and still one going away so i mean it's not i don't yeah. know you know rebounding is going to be important but i'm you know it's not you know the stops are going to be important making sure that when providence does get the rebound it's not just an easy put back when they grab it you know it's make you know still making them work for it so that's sure. just going to be the key yeah, and he's just he's really elevated his game. So you look at the last five for him. They won by twelve at home against Xavier on February fifteenth. He had just a stat stuffer game: seventeen points, seven board, five assists, mm-hmm. to just two turnovers in a game that he plays thirty-seven minutes in. His his minute totals lately have just been obviously they need him out on the floor to be successful. But they win against Butler. Uh, a couple of days before that, right? They take the Butler and Xavier home and sweep that. And he goes for 14, seven assists, a couple boards, one turnover. Um, they drop an overtime game to Seton Hall where he goes for 13 and five. And they lose against Villanova. He still puts up eight points, six boards, five assists, had four turnovers in that game. But then um, streaking back all the way to a one-point win against Marquette at Marquette. Mm-hmm. Um, a place where the Jays will love to potentially pick up a victory if they can. He goes for 18, six boards, six assists, two assists, or two turnovers. I mean, the guy's just stuffing the stat sheet. It yeah. really makes this team uh, more dangerous than maybe their 16-11 record shows right now just with the way they're playing and, like you mentioned, the effectiveness of what Ed Cooley's teams have been able to do traditionally against the Jays. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Jay's they by, need it, though. I Jay's mean, like by I 25. Said, no, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> you heard him. Somebody texted me and said the Jay, uh, Jays are nine-point favorites. I'm not a gambling man, but. I saw eight, so, yeah. That yeah, sounds I like about around the, I, I mean, that sounds about right, don't okay. you think? Yeah, I just, I'm terrible at that stuff, so. I, I think it would be hard to explain how Creighton would lose this game tomorrow. And that's kind of, well, I'm setting the same trap I set. Oh, man, you did it again. Game. Whoa. I know. Are you but double, I mean, you're doubling yeah. down, aren't you? Yeah. I just don't, I mean, I, th- I think just from, you know, watching practice this week, they feel like I thought everybody communicated pretty well and, you know, understands their assignments and and then Creighton still has Kyrie Thomas. So did we talk about him yet tonight? Kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. I had my new T-shirt idea. Kyrie Thomas, question mark, exclamation point. Just put that on a T-shirt because that's what I swear to God I say three times a game. Like, <laughs> Kyrie Thomas did that? What? <laughs> Kyrie Thomas did that. See, his mom's got a Kyrie Fence shirt now. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. 
I was like, Matt D. I asked him. I asked him about that the other day, and he's like, "Man, it's like, well, you're... <laughs> it's like, like, do you like go to Crossroads and make that, or like, just like what, like, do you know. hand craft that with puffy paint?" I'm not sure. They didn't ask me to make it. That's all I know. Damn, I told I you, just, man. I told I just, you. I just said the word, and then everybody's just everybody taken. else. Just don't don't start printing T-shirts, or you get student athletes in trouble. So, right. Don't be doing any of that. Um, all right. So Matt says Jay's going to roll probably. <laughs> so that's good to know. I'm probably not even going to go to the game. Then I'll just, you know, yeah, I just stay home, get some rest. So yeah, they get, they get the Friars and then they head out to Philly, um, for, uh, a game against the Villanova Wildcats. You might've heard about them. Uh, so if Villanova, if Villanova beats Butler tomorrow night, that means if, but if, if Creighton beats Providence and Villanova beats Butler tomorrow or the next game in the game in Philly will essentially be for the Big East regular season title, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's way more math than I can do. So <laughs> let me just see if we can break this down here. Uh Villanova's thirteen and two, so they'll be four are they thirteen and two already? Yeah, I think so. Oh well then they've already clinched it. Why is that what? The big East standings, I can't. I just can't with them. Honestly. I think Val updates those by hand, like the scoreboard at Wrigley Field. I'm so just gonna check their schedule. I don't trust these numbers. Can't trust it. Gosh. So yeah, I mean, let's count these out here. Two. There's another set of W's here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a nice little six-game win streak here. Let's see. There's twenty here, and five there, and seven there. That, yeah, there's the champions. Let's just talk. Let's, okay. let's be honest. I guess if, if Villanova loses tomorrow, that opens the door for Butler and Creighton to still win the Big East title, I okay. guess. So they won't lose tomorrow, though. But, I mean, as a Jays fan, I'm mentally aware and prepared that Villanova's got yet another regular season title. I don't want to hear that that makes me a bad fan. I mean, that's just hey, the way things are going right now. So, it's acknowledging what is real. The Yeah, the, the pillar of the conference right now. Just okay, so – if I'm a Jays fan, I'm, gosh, I'm itching for that two seed, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. you want to finish second more than you want to finish third. You want to finish third more than you want to finish fourth. I get that. Yeah. But, I mean, the difference between playing a team on short rest out in New York City versus playing what essentially could be a 3-6 game against a team that as a six seed might only have one game difference with you in the standings, knowing how the middle of this league plays out. Right. Huge difference, right? Yeah, so I mean, the only downside of being the two seeds is that you're not the last game at MSG that night, which is the fun one. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's, where, that's, cra- that's, but that's where crazy stuff happens, Matt. I don't know that yeah, you want to no. be in that game, do you? Yeah, the three six is just, I mean, well, I mean, let's see, it produced the champion last year, the year before Villanova won it, so they were the, and they'd win the league title, and then the year, what was Providence the first year in the league? Providence was in the four five game because the, they the beat Villanova right in the quarters. Or did Villanova lose? They did not. They beat Seton Hall in the quarters because Villanova lost. Yeah, so Sterling Gibbs before yeah before going to UConn and punching Ryan Ar- after <laughs> before he punched Ryan Archidiakono <laughs> and played for UConn, he hit a buzzer beater to beat Villanova. Nice. And then when he realized he wasn't going to do it a second year, he already punched Archidiakono. So I mean, that's yeah. Got it. So I don't and, know what and Whitehead are. was the one that had issues on that team. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to get slapped if I get defamation suit. Punched, 
Archie Diacono. The team went to, fell apart. Yeah. Angel Delgado had a crying issue. Oh, God. What is going to happen when they get rid of Willard? Oh, oh just, it's the gift that keeps on giving right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what. How so, yeah, shot. Providence then beats Seton Hall, and then Providence, unfortunately, beat the Jays that year. But uh, in just, man, that game was a grind. That was such an ugly, grindy, things are not going the way that they should for the Jays sort of a game. The Providence game? Yeah. Yeah, well, they scored 17 points in the first half. I mean, it was just Doug had scored 27 in the first half himself against DePaul two nights before. I mean, that kind of went off in the second. He kind of went off in the second half against Providence to get it like. Yeah, I know. And then he he like a 35 footer to cut it to five or three or what was that? Yeah, I know. And then the next trip down, Devin Brooks decided to shoot the ball instead of finding Doug McDermott. So that's how that works out. (laughs) I mean, you know, Devin Devin put up some shots. Yeah, really. I know. (laughs) I was there. I saw it. Through my fingers. That was the was that that was the year. No, they hit the did he hit the backboard shot the year before? Or that was the year no, he hit. He hit yeah, the he backboard went, shot that year. Yeah, he went side of the backboard to Austin in the corner for the three. Yeah, oh, yeah. against DePaul, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was legendary. That was like one of the best shots in Big East tournament history, right there. I know. <laughs> so at least he'll be remembered for that. Yeah. Um. Nice. Yeah. So I don't know. I I really. I'm itching for that two seed. It's going to be when they don't get it and they play as a three seed, hopefully. Um, you know, that, that Xavier game is just going to come back to bite even even more. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's 70 degrees here in Omaha. The weather feels like on the warm side of NCAA tournament weather. Come on. It feels like almost College World Series weather right now. What is going on out there? I love it, man. Can you imagine 75 degrees for College World Series games? That would be so yeah, much better I'm... than, like, sweat box and a bunch of Husker football fans. Out in the but what I'm, worried of, what I'm worried about is that means the College World Series is going to be that. It's oh, yeah. going to be like 125 degrees and, you know, at 7 o'clock at night. It's like, what is going on right That's now? for sure. That's I just don't – yeah. No, no bueno. Um, Let's get normal again. So the Jays – wrapping up here soon they've only got two home games left kind of a bummer yeah you're correct so providence on wednesday night and then a week from now jays will have senior night against chris mullen we'll see if he sticks around for the end of game festivities but senior night for the blue jays against st john's if he's around at halftime yeah right baby steps um what else you got to talk about? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got this interview with Caleb Joseph. Right. So right. a lot of people on, uh, let's call them the vocal minority, but a, but a loud vocal minority of Jays fans on Twitter and different social media networks and uh, message boards and whatnot. Obviously, a little perplexed the last couple of weeks with how things have gone at the point guard spot in lieu of Maurice Watson Jr. Being yeah, I'm just going to let, let you go on that one there. Right. So. Okay. That's how things have been playing out, right? Getting Davion Mintz in the mix. Isaiah Zierden, Tyler Clement. Also. By the way, I just want to call a timeout real quick. I think yeah. Davion Mintz's actual name is Come On Davion um, because that's constantly what the coaches say during practice. So amazing. There's like every time there's a stoppage, it's Come On Davion. Let's you know, let's go here. So I think so I think it's actually part of his actual first name. That I'm I'm, I'm not sure. I'll ask somebody. I'll in, I'll in, uh, I'll embarrass my brother-in-law. So. My brother-in-law Brett Jones, his when he when he was little, him and his two sisters thought that his full name was Brett Thomas Jones. Stop. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So when they stopped saying stop, he thought something was wrong because he thought that was part of his name. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Um, So I know you're. I know why you're putting that in there, right? Because you're you're trying to make everybody feel a little bit more relaxed about maybe why things are breaking out minutes wise the way Uh, they are. What do you think? Well, I mean, I'm just not totally. And uh, you know, I was having a conversation with. Um, Johnny and Tower of the World Herald today about this as well because he's new at he, this is his first year and he's like he comes up to me today and he goes fans always so upset at Isaiah Zierden is what he said <laughs> yeah and I go yes that is that's pretty much how the five years have gone or I guess the year he didn't play would didn't count so I mean yeah they loved him then but yeah there's always been like kind of like a weird a weird like they just there's something that bugs them about him. And you're talking again about the vocal minority, the them, right? Sure. Sure. I think. I hear it a lot, though. So, And he's starting to hear it a lot, too. He's like, has this always been like that? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, it's it's one of those things where he's going to be good. He's, I mean, he's going to be one of the most underappreciated Blue Jays because just the, you know, yeah. I, I really think, I really believe the coaching staff when they say, you know, he's assignment sound and how valuable that is. And that, you know, while he's not going to, you know, while he's not going to blow anybody, blow by anybody speed wise or, you know, punch on someone at the rim, uh, you know, he does just does enough to help win games. I mean, I, I wasn't that, and I guess we could maybe debate this a little bit because I think you were one of the people who was upset with, uh, I guess that's probably not the right word, but thought that Davion should have been in against the pressure against Georgetown on Sunday. For no other reason than to just, he's going to need to get that play. He's going to need to be up okay. against that that time. It wasn't okay. anything against Z or even against Tyler necessarily. It's mm-hmm. there was enough wiggle room in that game where they could have had him out there a little bit just to see how he would react. Now that's probably <laughs> well, I know that's one hundred percent an uneducated uh, nah. statement versus like give yourself credit for. No, I know, but like what coaches have to run through and what the coaches' run sheets are for, you know, time, possession, and and position in a game. Like I have no qualms with this. Is just aggregate aggravated Creighton fan thought process. But I just look at it like you're going to go to New York. You're going to think you're going to win three games in three days. The kids got to play in some pressure situations against man, uh, against man press. So that's why I thought Georgetown. They're... So you're thinking you're thinking a big picture. Yeah, just so, give him some reps. Okay, that's fair. I can understand that. I just like here's what I like about the Zierden um, running the point guard from the perspective of handling pressure. I guess now he's going to get lit up by a, by a team that decides to press. That's just the bottom line because, like I said, he's not going to blow by a trap. All right, right. like he's not going to split it and blow by it like Watson would do. Okay, so. What's the other way to beat pressure defense other than if you're not fast enough to do it with the dribble? Pray? I don't know. What? Pray. <laughs> well, you got the right word. First letter. Pass, right? Pass, right. Yeah. So, I mean, and his decision, like, that goes back to the decision making because Mac trusts what he's able to do because he's seen him do it, right? So, I feel like the reason Toby and Isaiah was a good lineup out there with Marcus and Justin and Kyrie who take about two seconds to get from end to end 
as soon as they have the ball, it's a dunk essentially against the pressure, right? So Z is fine with maybe setting up the trap. You know, he'll like let two, six, seven guys get right in his face. That's fine because he's assessing the situation. And same with Toby, who has an advantage of being able to see over the trap. So, and they're two really good passers as well. Other than Toby trying to hit Kyrie on an outlet pass against Xavier, we'll, we'll give him a pass on that one. Um, so they're two really good passers. Toby can see over the press, and Isaiah can assess the situation in game speed and make the right decision, right? So I think that's a good lineup to have a press break on because I'll tell you what, once you, once a team traps one of those guys and they pass out of it, then it's four on three with three of the guys running at you in that disadvantage being high-flying speedster athletic dunkers in Patton, Kyrie, and Marcus. So you better make sure you turn over. You better make sure you at least get a deflection, if not a turnover, against Z or Toby, and you're most likely not going to do either, which is what happened against Georgetown. So I like that lineup from a press-break perspective. If that's what teams are going to do, I'd rather have the guys that are holding the ball in that situation be good decision-makers that you know they're going to make a right decision, other than a Davion who, like, again, might be able to split the double with a dribble, might be able to beat the dribble just by getting around on the baseline or sideline and, you know, staying inbounds and speeding by it for a four-on-one maybe. You know, there certainly is a higher ceiling with Davion breaking a press. But right now, do you trust it enough to be mistake-free? Well, not if they're as saying. Com- as compared to the other, you know, as compared to a Zierden. Not if know, they're saying, all. come on, Davion. Every time. <laughs> exactly. Not if his name is, come on, Davion. Right. right. So, I mean, I, I understand it. I get it. And I think when you're a coaching staff that's assessing things, when you are sitting here on February 21st, you're not really thinking about the big picture. You're trying to win a game. Sure. So, you know, and right now, like I said, Creighton still hasn't even clinched a top six spot yet, right? So they can't really just – right. They can't really just rest the troops, you know, like they do in the NFL and take an L. You know, these are all these are all important for seeding purposes right now. So I understand why you just want to focus on one at a time, get the job done, and move on from there, and not necessarily worry about if Davion has dealt with enough pressure in order to, you know, win three games in f- in three days type of deal. I think you just deal with that when you deal with that. Because it's kind of like. It's kind of like what they dealt with with Mo. I mean, would it have made more sense in hindsight if Watson had played, you know, 25, 27 minutes and Davion had played the other 13 all the way up until he got injured? Would it have made more sense in hindsight? Yes. Would Davion have been a more seasoned player by then? Yes. But you don't think about Maurice Watson getting hurt when Maurice Watson's out there being Maurice Watson, right? You think about, damn, Maurice Watson's and Maurice Watson and then when the injury happens you deal with it as it happens like that's kind of the way I think most teams in the country manage things I think it's you know I I just don't know how many teams are willing to go through a lot of ugly basketball ugly stretches of basketball in order to make sure a freshman is seasoned by the end of a season in which he might not even play if everybody stays healthy type of thing you know what I'm saying that's kind of my whole my whole opinion on the matter. I understand it would make more sense if Davion had played more in the preseason, but it didn't really, I don't think anyone was complaining about it until it mattered. Yeah. And Mo went down. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like then you're just talking hindsight. So, 
I have such a good segue teed up. Can I can I do it right now? Tee it up, man. Okay. Blow the thing out. Blow the thing out. TD Ameritrade Park. Okay. No one else will. <laughs> Nobody else will. <laughs> um, God, why did you have to bring up baseball, man? Just bring me down. All right. Oh, I'm going to try to get past it. Somebody that can throw pressure at Davion in practice with that scout team, Caleb Joseph. You spoke with him. We've got a good interview with Caleb. Actually, you you said it's a really good interview. So if you're going to say it's a really good interview, I think it's great because you're pretty humble about how these things go normally. Uh, do you want to set the stage for speaking with Caleb any more than you already have, or should we just jump right in? Yeah, so the thing I'm excited about people to hear this one is because it's really the first time they've gotten to listen to Caleb Joseph. And, you know, I kind of – I didn't really pick his brain as far as what he – I didn't really pick his brain about next year. I picked it about this year a lot. But in doing that, you got a really good look at the type of point guard he's going to be. And I just think it's a really fascinating listen into what it takes to develop during that redshirt year and we've seen it now with Creighton here with what Maurice Watson Jr. turned into after a redshirt year what Cole Huff turned into after a redshirt year what Justin Patton turned into after a redshirt year what Marcus Foster is doing right now in the peak of his first season of eligibility after a redshirt year and it kind of gives you a pretty good glimpse into and we'll go and I'm going to revert back to here the Davion thing how well this coaching staff how good of a job they do at developing. Because I think that's a big, one of the big question marks, right? Everybody's like, well, why haven't you developed a backup point guard yet? Well, you know, here's a good example. And you're going to listen to Caleb Joseph as far as what he's doing day in, day out, and how he approaches everything. And you're going to see the type of, now he hasn't done anything from a results standpoint, so I'm not calling him a first-team All-American right here. But I'm just saying you're going to see, you're going to get a glimpse into what it's like to have a whole year of just focusing on getting better while also preparing the team that is active, the active roster, to win on a daily basis. And, you know, he's a really well-spoken kid, and he was really he did really did a, did a great job of articulating what it – everything that a redshirt year entails when you're approaching every day with intensity while also dealing with the mental – maybe the frustrating parts of knowing that everything you're doing on a daily basis right now is not going to lead to minutes the next night, you know, cause you're not going to play. So I just think it's a really, it's kind of a fascinating look into, you know, his, that whole, the whole mentality of what it's like to sit out a whole year and not be able to affect winning and losing in front of the bright lights or in front of the fans and that sort of thing. So um, that's what I took away from it. And we'll see if, you know, hopefully everybody else gets that from him too. So, Sounds good. This is our own Matt DeMarinas speaking with Caleb Joseph on the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Uh, I'm sitting here with uh, Caleb Joseph, transfer point guard, redshirt extraordinaire, scout team star, yeah. and uh, Martine watching him, of course, closely. Um, I guess first, just you know, tell me how the the the, the redshirt year is going for you. I mean, it's I imagine it's pretty tough knowing that 
you're preparing every day as hard as you can, but you're not going to be able to play in any games. I mean, just take me inside the, the dynamic of everyday work for you. I think um, at first the idea of it uh, was a little rough just because um, obviously you, you you get a little anxious to play, um, especially once the season first gets started. But um, I think once you kind of embrace it, you get over a little hump and um, you just start to just focus on the things that you can control and that's just getting better every day. And um, as I've done that, I realize the season has gone by really fast. And, and um, just the importance of um, valuing every day and not taking any days off. Um, throughout the season, I, I had a great opportunity, and I've had, uh, I continue to, to watch, and um, that's something I haven't been able to do for a little while, uh, just to see uh, what this team needs um, with WAP and without him, seeing able to see the things that um, – just the way the guys react and the way they respond to, to certain situations. Mm -hmm. And um, as a leader, um, coming onto the court next year, um, that's something that um, has been really valuable to me. Now, I guess Maurice talked about this during his retro year, and you know, same with Cole, same with Marcus, in that they approach these these practices, especially the ones where you're preparing for Big East teams and you know, trying to emulate the opponent. Yeah. Like, do you approach those as game days? As far as how you, you know, get ready for them, how you execute them, how you play. I mean, is that is that what it feels like out there? Uh, as much as possible, I think it's tough. Like, uh, in, in, in an ideal world, yes, you want to approach every every practice like a game. Mm -hmm. um, but the truth of it is, it's not a game. So the adrenaline, like the rush that you have of being out there in front of 18,000 people, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. And I think that is almost the, the best part of it all, is because you have to force yourself. Um, to be consistent with um, the way you handle practice and the approach that you have to it. Because um, just like in the season, sometimes it's going to be a long, you're going to go through a long stretch where you just may be tired. And um, this has just really helped me with uh, my mental discipline um, and my approach to it all. Now, I'm, I mean, you have some off-guard skills. You can shoot it off the dribble and create your own shot. I mean, how much of you... As a point guard, how much of you as a scorer, and how do you how do you balance that every single uh, day? Just strictly a point guard. Um, but the, at the end of the day, you have to be a basketball player. Yeah. Um, one thing I've realized in playing at this level, if you can't score the ball, then you're not a threat to pass the ball. Sure. So if, if I I can't create scoring opportunities for my teammates if they can just sag off of me. If I if they, if nobody has to guard me, then I can't do I can't distribute the ball. So um, my job is to keep the defense honest, however that may be, whether if it's to make a jump shot, get in the lane, um, and then draw defenders and create plays from there. But uh, I think that's why I, I, there are times when I have to shoot because I'm open. And if I can make it, then next time I, I pup fake, they come out, I get in the lane and create something for my teammates. So you have to have a good balance to it all. Now, from an objective standpoint, when you're trying to think about what you want to do this season, you know you're not going to play in any games. So you have to kind of – I'm assuming there's a part, an adjustment period where you have to get over that, right? I mean, Absolutely. Where you have to practice knowing that you have pretty much a whole year to, like, sharpen yeah. your tools before a game. Yeah, absolutely. What did you come into this year thinking, here are the things that I want to be in March. I want to be better at these things, X, Y, and Z. What was that? What did that list look like for you? Uh, initially, I wasn't sure what it would be because um, obviously I have things from an individual standpoint that I wanted to work on, but um, 
for me to impact the team, it took me actually being here and going through the first couple weeks of practices to see what um, the things that I would need. Uh, and the first thing first was defense. Um, that's something, because at Syracuse, it was strictly zone defense. Mm-hmm. Didn't play uh, a second of man-to-man. And to make that transition from a zone at a really high level to man-to-man at a really high level, mm-hmm. um, it's just different. The last time I played man was in high school. So um, just being alert at all times on the defensive end, um, being in the right help side position, um, and just just not taking any possessions off on the defensive end. Um, I think that's something that I've really uh, made strides in and definitely still have a long way to go. But um, that, that's been my focus. And then offensively, just continuing to work on my overall game, getting in the lane, um, working on my ball handling, and um, just, just being a playmaker and a leader overall. Now, from a scouting perspective, take me inside the mentality of every day. I mean, when you guys, because you guys are out here first on the court, yeah. you're going through yeah. the you know the plays that you have to run this week. Yeah. How do you approach every day? Do you, are you guys trying to? Are you guys essentially trying to beat the starters, kind of like to make them see how difficult it possible? Are you trying to simulate the most, the most difficult possible environment for them so that they're ready for the game day? I mean, how much how much competitiveness do you guys devote to uh, executing the scout? Yeah, I think um, a lot. I think. For, I think in the beginning of the year, it was mostly guys were just trying to, because it's all mostly new guys on that scout team. Um, but I think in the beginning of the year, it was mostly just trying to remember the t- other team's plays and get used to, just get to used to the whole system of scout team. Um, but once we got a, got used to it, um, I tried to take on that role of um, making it as competitive as possible and also allowing that to help me with my leadership abilities and try to get guys to buy in to, because a lot of guys on the scout team want to be starters. Mm. So you have to be able to find ways to motivate everybody day in and day out so that they come to practice and still get something out of it and, and have show the coaches that why they can possibly play. Um, so, yeah, I think um, we definitely, every single time we get out there, want to try to crush, crush the, the starters. And um, there are some drills that we do are just kind of made for us to lose. Yeah. But um, every chance that we get, um, we, we, we try to win. Yeah. What's the, I guess you've been through the Big East now one time here. Well, what's, which team is the most fun to be a scout team for? Like, what, what team is the most fun to emulate from your perspective as far as letting you play as freely as uh, possible? For me, I would say probably um, uh, St. John's. They, they yeah. have, like, a really uh, free-flowing <laughs> style of play uh, where the guards have a lot of freedom, uh, come off ball screens. Um, honestly, any scout team that has a good point guard who can just make decisions uh, is good. I hate being the scout where the guy just can't shoot the ball. Yeah. Because it just, like I said before, if you can't shoot, you can't distribute, yeah. you can't do anything because everybody's just sagging off. Um, and I just having to think about it. I, I hate having to, like, be out there, like... Because there are times where you're, I remember, we won't name the names, but I know them. But, I mean, there are times where you'll come off a ball screen and you'll pull up from 18 and cash it and then get yelled at. Yeah. And it's, because it's, you're like, because that's it, not what they're supposed to yeah, do. Yeah, and that's, that's the tough part. It's like, you, you, it's discipline. And it's like, you don't want to be out there thinking about every possession. Because like, yeah. at the end of the day, you're a basketball player. So you see something, you, it's your instinct. You're taught to play off of instinct and just be natural. But when you're being somebody else who just kind of sucks, it's tough yeah. to like, right. like put the horns on yourself. Sure. Um, 
how much fun have you had? I mean, just from the perspective you've had, the point of view you've had watching, trying to pick up, you know, the your the guys that you're playing with next year, the tendencies, but also, you know, being in this environment from that point of view. I mean, cheering on the sidelines. Have you had a lot of fun as far as have you been able to have a lot of fun enjoying games, even though you're not your number's never going to be called this year? Yeah, I mean, shout out to Marcus for getting me that one bucket this season. Yeah, um, that's right. So, but other than that, like, it's I, – I obviously, you, you want to uh, have fun with everything you do. Um, but at the same time, there needs to be a balance to it all. And um, as I have enjoyed it, I try to be as focused as possible. Like, so, like, when the games comes um, – Even from your point of view. Absolutely. Yeah, because you just, you got to create habits. And the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So, um, game day comes, I want to be as prepared as possible. That's – for me, that's when I get my hardest workouts of the, of the week is because, especially home games, um, right after shoot-around, uh, I come and get shots up. And then right before the guys come back to, to warm up for the game, I'm going through my individual workouts. So for me, I'm trying to get as much work in as possible on those days. So by the time the game comes, I'm usually exhausted. And then I just try to to read the game from a coach's perspective. Uh, I'm talking to the coaches, asking uh, what do they see. After every game, I'm asking, like, what do they think? Why do you think we won? Why do you think we lost? Just to help my overall understanding of the game. Because then next year, it, it just becomes natural. It become, becomes who you are. Mm. Caleb, man, it was great picking your brain about that. I know it's probably tough at this point of the season knowing that, you know, coming up on that tournament, big East yeah. tournament, and then you're like, man, I have to wait another year before I get to enjoy that as like a player. No, I, I've had I have I've had fun all, all season, every every day with these guys. They make it so fun for me. I appreciate you sitting down with us. Thanks a lot. Yeah, did yourself that time. I think um, really interesting to hear Caleb's perspective, and I know that's got me really excited. Frankly, um, I've heard a lot of good things about what he's been doing in practice, and mm -hmm. and, and I just. Uh, I'm really excited that, like you mentioned before we went to that interview, just how that, just that progression that can happen during this this year. Something that mm -hmm. Creighton being Creighton's kind of known for, right, is bringing these guys in and developing them during this redshirt season. Right. Whether it be a transfer uh, like Caleb or a guy like Justin Patton. Um, so yeah, really really interesting perspective there. For sure, I was yeah, I was, I was really impressed with the whole thing. Um. Not necessarily my questions. They're pretty bad, but his answers were good. There you go. That's the sign of a great basketball player. Take <laughs> yeah. terrible media questions and turn them into something great. Exactly. And make magic out of it. Yeah. How good Just how good do you think Kyrie would be at that? Oh, so good. Yeah, he, I mean, he's pretty good at everything, so I right? bet he'd that too. I feel like we've established that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to get uh, out of your guys' earbuds. Um, you know, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Lawler Sportswear, again. Thank you, Lawlers. Uh, I know that uh, we we tweeted some of their new gear that they've designed, especially for folks flying out to New York City for the Big East Tournament. Obviously, it doesn't stop you from wearing it here if you're not going out to the Big Apple, but I know that they've got some stuff fresh off the presses and down at the uh, CenturyLink Center um, store that they've got set up for every home game now, so a couple yep. more times couple more opportunities to get some gear down at a Jays game, but then they've also always got their online store and then their various stores around town. So if you get how a good chance, does How good does new gear feel, by the way, like when you put it on for the first time and wear it for the first time? Like, so I told someone last week I got a new T-shirt, and it was just like a 100% cotton shirt. It was something I got at work. 
and mm-hmm. it was like fresh out the box from a place like Lawler's, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, not that there is any place like Lawler's. Like, there is no being, place like Lawler's. Let's just be honest. But I, I, I told them, I was like, God, I love the smell of new t-shirts. I mm-hmm. love it. Like, I love the smell of gasoline and fresh cut grass and not exclusive of one another. Like, I love the smell of gasoline. I will admit it. I think that's just. I, th- I think every American loves the three things you just listed there. Right, t-shirts. I mean, that's the American think... way: grass, yeah. gas, grass, and t-shirts. <laughs> I feel like there would be a t-shirt with that saying on it somewhere. There should, if there's not, there should be, and Lawler should sell it. Maybe, Ky- maybe that's Kyrie's mom's next t-shirt she's gonna wear. There you go. But yeah, um, I mean, I love just putting on like the first time you ever wear like a Creighton shirt from Lawler's, or you know, walk around with that gear on. Like, it's funny because. You know, growing up, I tried to do it always. I tried to, like, do it around a big event, like a big game. Oh, yeah. Or, like, a big tournament or an NCAA tournament or, you know, whatever I was, like, kind of pumped up about. I would just kind of prepare. Um, squirrel yeah, squirrel I'm gonna go get the cash yeah. away. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to get some new gear at Lawler's and bust it out for the first time at so-and-such an event, right? You know, so that was always, like, my deal, and I just loved wearing it the first time. Um, so something they do with those shirts there, I don't know. But it's you know the Magical. first time you wear it, the first time you wear something from from some Creighton gear from Lawler's you feel like a new person so so there you go people get some new gear from Lawler's feel like a new person cheer <laughs> hard a couple big games coming up for the men obviously we've addressed how how the end of the regular season looks for women's basketball uh, we alluded a little bit to what was a less than stellar weekend for men's baseball but you know they'll be home here in a couple weeks actually. When the Jays are out in New York City for the Big East men's basketball tournament, mm-hmm. uh, baseball will be around. There'll be a ton of Lawler's gear floating around TD Ameritrade Park as well. So make sure you go out and support our sponsor because they support us, and we love doing this. Frankly, Matt and I were just talking during that uh, interview break that uh, it's just really nice to to be able to talk about Creighton sports to people that want to listen about creating sports mm-hmm. and so we just really appreciate everything that lawlers does and everything that you guys do as fans uh and interested individuals to check us out so with that i'm gonna shut up because we've gone long again tonight but again matt it was a great time i really appreciate you joining me tonight like always always a pleasure my friend all right buddy so with that we're gonna go cheer hard well i am matt's not a fan anymore yeah. quote unquote no, but I, no, i'm gonna get my uh vocal cords ready for the jays hosting the providence friars and we'll check in with you here in a couple days from the blue jays bites podcast i'm bryant ott alongside matt d marinas we thank you for tuning into this again and we say a resounding go jays